we're going to start this brand new series called The Gift of Light. And over the next three weeks and into Christmas Eve, we're, we're going to be looking at the different gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. And we're going to be focusing on Matthew chapter 2. So you guys can start opening up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. But before I read that, let me just give you a little bit of context, okay? Jesus, we know, was born in Bethlehem under the reign of King Herod. And some uh, know, some wise men, some of, them know, know, some of you may know them as the Magi, traveled a great distance to come to worship Jesus. Now, this is the uh, participation part. How many of you guys have a nativity scene at home? The rest of you are sinners, I can tell. <laughs> All right, no. And when you see the nativity scene, how many wise men do you see in that nativity scene? You see three, right? Because that's how many are there. But how many, the Bible tells us that uh, there were how many wise men? Do you guys know that there was? We don't know how many wise men there was. Basically, the reality of it is that we don't know. The chances are scholars and Bible scholars and experts agree that there could have been up to a dozen people that visited Jesus. But because there were three gifts, we tend to think traditionally that there were three wise men. But here's what we know for sure about the wise men. These men were highly educated. Think PhDs, especially in astronomy. They were likely incredibly wealthy, and we know one thing is that for whatever reason, these men were desperate to meet the one who might be the savior of the world. Who would travel that far to meet somebody like that? That, that is always interesting to me. The Bible doesn't teach us that, but I'm always wondering, like, these guys felt desperate to meet this, 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 this baby. Now, at the time, and I don't mean to ruin the Christmas story for you, but at the time of the scripture, scholars believe that Jesus was a toddler, not a baby like we see in the nativity scene. He was likely more about 18 to 24 months at the time they wrote this scripture, which means that the wise men were bowing down to a toddler, not a baby. So think about it. They were bowing down to Jesus as a terrible too, if you guys can imagine that. Like they brought him gifts of Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and Jesus probably wanted a PS4 by that time. I don't know. So it just, I don't want to ruin the story for you guys, but that, that's kind of how it went down. I'm totally kidding, of course. But in Matthew chapter 2, this is where we start the scripture, verse 10. This is what it says. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now, I want to pause there for a second. We're, we're going to stay there all three weeks in that scripture and the one following that. But I want to pause for a second because that is so important. When they saw a star, and of course, we write down a star in Scripture, but the reality is that it was some kind of a light. They knew that there was a light that they were following, and what's interesting to me about this is they call it a star, and stars like planets, you know, they have this gravitation, and they travel from east to west, you know, through the heavens, yet when they wrote the Scripture, the wise men were in Jerusalem, which was about five miles south of Bethlehem. Well, actually, they were, yeah, in Jerusalem. Bethlehem was five miles south of Jerusalem. So this star is traveling east to west, and somehow they need to make their way south, and somehow this star, this light, got them there. And that's, to me, very interesting, because the reality is that people have studied this for so long, and all efforts to explain this star or this light are really inadequate. The only logical explanation to me is that it was a miraculous light that led the wise men 
to the birth of our Savior. Some scholars believe that this light was similar to the light that led the Israelites out of Egypt at night. So can it be or could it be that this star was the Shekinah glory of God, that same glory that led the children of Israel as a pillar of fire at night? That, that, that's amazing to me. Now, here's what I don't want you to miss, which is why we're talking about this light. Here's why this is important to us today. Because the Bible teaches us that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And like the wise men, we must also follow that light. And that's so important, especially today, in this day and age, with all the things that are going on. And oftentimes we spend a lot of time of things that you already know, all the hardship. I get to talk to people every single day almost of all the hardship that they're going through through this pandemic. And even beyond that, of all the health issues that they're going through. And oftentimes we lose sight of that light. And instead we tend to follow the shiny things of this world that double as that light only to find that there is no joy in them. They don't bring you peace because there's only one light that can bring you that peace. Are you following that light? And then this scripture goes on to say, they entered the house and saw the child, which by the way, it doesn't say baby, it says child. Terrible twos, Jesus was there at that point. And they saw him with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Matt, Tiffany, when you had your baby, did you get gifts of frankincense and myrrh? Because I didn't either. I got onesies and diapers and that little baby snot sucker thingy that you get. <laughs> I never got this gold. Gold would have been cool, I suppose. But, you know, what kind, of, what kind of gifts are those? You may be wondering, and I am too. The wise men offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you have to know that the, these gifts were not only valuable, they were incredibly practical and very deeply spiritual. In fact, Bible scholars agree that these gifts were not only useful for the family, but they, we were going to tell you over the next few weeks as we go how all of these gifts foreshadowed some of the images of what Jesus would represent. You see, gold valuable as we know, valuable in itself, represented the kingship of Jesus. Myrrh, we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks after we get the musical, and that represented Jesus, the suffering servant or the Lamb of God. But today, I get to talk about frankincense, which is a very interesting thing because it's, it's kind of an essential oil. And so I inquired of my essential oil advisors, which I have many in my life, one of them who is my wife, and they tell me that frankincense, that essential oil, is basically like, like, like an army Swiss knife. They, you know, it's good for a lot of different uses, right? A lot of different purposes. And like I said, uh, my wife uses essential oils, and she tries to teach me about them, and I, I kind of halfway listen. All I know is that when we go on mission trips and anytime we travel, she's, she's giving me all kinds of oils. Take this for your immune system. Take peppermint for your stomach and eucalyptus will make this plane smell like a spa, and lavender for something or other. I mean, she's constantly just giving me all these essential oils. The point is that she uses them, and she's my expert, but I have a few others. But let me tell you about that essential oil frankincense, and basically I'm just going to read to you what I read on the internet. 
It says that frankincense is an antiseptic, an astringent, a carminative, a diuretic, it's good for digestive, it's a sedative, it's uterine and vulnerary therapeutic properties. What does that mean? I have absolutely no idea what any of that means, but my wife told me that's true. What I do know is that frankincense is very expensive, but it was a practical gift that they gave to Jesus because they knew that it would heal their sickness and treat wounds. But here's what I want you to understand from frankincense this morning. Frankincense in the Old Testament was the oil that priests would use to burn during sacrifices, to burn the incense that would then make that smoke rise to heaven, symbolizing the prayers of the people rising in faith to God. Very interesting, isn't it, to understand that concept. So scholars, you see, agree that frankincense represents the priestliness of Jesus. So as we're going to talk about today, Jesus as our high priest. So let me explain a little further. Now, bear with me because this message is we need to get into understanding the deep meaning of what Christmas is all about. And this is part of it. In the Old Testament, the priest essentially would be the representatives. Think of like a liaison between the people and God. And their roles as priests was broken into two functions. First, the priests made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. Now, as the priests, they would take an innocent little animal, poor baby, sacrifices to represent the forgiveness of people's sins. And second, the priests would pray the prayers on behalf of the people before God. So those are the two functions. So let's talk about those a little bit more. Jesus, as our high priest, did, you know, needed those sacrifices and those prayers. First, let's talk about the sacrifices of our sins. We know that since the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. There were two opposing forces. Even at the beginning, there was the holiness of God, and there was the sinfulness of mankind. Okay? Holiness of God, sinfulness of mankind. Now, that's important because in today's culture, and I think you would agree, we don't really want to call sin, sin. There's a lot of people that might say things like, we made a mistake, but it's not a sin. Or who are you to tell me what's right or wrong? Or what's true for you may not be true for me. You guys get the picture. We are watering down what sin really means in today's culture. One person said that sin is a very outdated term to trick children into being good. In other words, I mean, who needs sin when you have Alf on the shelf, right? who's there watching your kid, and then he's going to tell Santa because Santa is making a list, and he's checking it twice, and he's trying to find out who's naughty or nice, right? So who needs sin when you have all of that? Here's our challenge. We have to understand the reality of sin because there is this holiness of God and because we have this sinfulness of men. If we don't understand the holiness of God, Guess what? We're always going to have a casual approach to sin. And until we understand what it truly means that God is holy, we're never really going to realize the cost of our sin and the tragedy of what it does in our lives. God, you see, is holy. In fact, the word holy comes from the Greek word agios, which means separate and apart 
or sacred. So what is God? God is transcendently separate and sacred. Our God, you see, is perfect in every single way. He is flawless. He is pure. He has no fault. He has no stains on him, no wrong. Our God is transcendently other. He is separate and sacred. He is perfect. And so we need to understand and really grasp this concept that holiness isn't just one of the attributes of God. Holiness is the perfection of all of his attributes. In other words, his power is holy. His grace is holy. His mercy, his glory is holy. His holiness, his otherness, his separateness, his purity that makes them worthy of our praise. Amen? One amen, I'll take it. Hopefully some of you at home are doing better amens than these guys here. Here's the deal. Our God is holy, and our challenge is we're not. None of us. Not a single one of you. Not you, not me, not that really nice person at work that you work with. Scripture teaches us that every single one of us We've all sinned. We've all done something wrong. We've all fallen short of his standard, of God's standard. And what that does is it breaks our intimacy with God. It breaks that relationship with a holy God. You guys starting to see the separation between his holiness and our sinful nature? This is why God hates sin. Because it is everything that he is not. It is the opposite of holiness. Sin separates us from God, and it breaks our life. It actually destroys our life, and therefore, that's why God hates sin. So the high priest, again, going back to the Old Testament, once a year, one time a year would make sacrifices for the temporary payment for the sins of the people. And this day was known as the Day of Atonement. There's a name for, him, uh, for, a name for it. It's called Yom Kippur. And here's what they would do. The, the priest would take this innocent animal, and they would sacrifice this innocent animal. And I know, just bear with me. And then they would go into this actual place called a tabernacle. It was a physical place, and there was a veil. And behind that veil, there was another place called the Holies of Holies. Then the priest would take the frankincense, which we're talking about today, and light the, the incense, and they would let the smoke rise burning into heaven, representing the cries of the people for mercy to God. And then the priest would take the blood of that innocent animal and sprinkle it on an actual seed called the mercy seed, and it would symbolize the death of the innocent one in place of the guilty ones. And it was as a payment for our sins. And then I'm sure you guys have heard of the term scapegoat before. Have you guys heard of that term before? That term comes from this. Then the priest would take a goat, an innocent goat. First there was an animal, like a bull or a sheep. And then now they take a goat, and the priest would confess the sins to the goat for the people, symbolically transferring the sins on the goat. And then they would drive that goat into the wilderness, sometimes off of a cliff. So therefore, the first animal died as a sacrifice, paying the price for the people's sins, symbolically, the scapegoat was run out of the community, symbolizing the sins have been separated from God's people. Sounds a little complicated, doesn't it? And I think I know what you guys are thinking, because when I first heard this many, time, many, many moons ago, when I first became a Christian, I'm like, what? That's just 
I hope God doesn't strike me down with that's just weird. Don't I mean it's just I've I've never heard of this before. I mean, you mean to tell me you're going to take this cute little animal that has nothing to do with these knuckleheads that are sinning all the time, and you're going to slit his throat? I know that's graphic. And you're going to pour it in a bucket, it's sprinkled into the mercy seat, and then you're going to. It's just. I'm sorry. It's just. It's just a lot to take in. It's just. It just sounds extreme and kind of gross to me, and and honestly, a little unfair. I mean, for us today to be able to do that, we couldn't have cats and dogs. We would have to keep a herd of sheep and goats and all kinds of stuff because I mess up every day. I need a lot of them. I, I would have to. It's just, it couldn't, it's just not okay. But here's what we have to understand. Because God is just, he is completely just. That means he must punish sin. But God is not only just, he is equally merciful. And that is the beauty of this. And that is the beauty of what God does. You see, the sacrifice satisfies God's justness. And at the same time, he extends his mercy. Even in the Old Testament, you see, the people weren't the receiving the, 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 the brunt of their sin. He was still finding somebody else to take their sin for them. So God's holiness, his justice is satisfied, and yet he, exter- he extends his mercy to his people that he loves so much. You know, but the good news for us this morning, as you know, and as we get into the season to celebrate Christmas, the good news is that we are not under that old covenant. There is a, a covenant means pact. It means an agreement. The, 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 Moses, uh, the, the law of Moses was that old covenant. We're not under that. We're under the new covenant. That's why the New Testament happened. That is why we're going to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us about this new covenant. And this is what it says. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. This is that system that I just explained to you. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. They didn't. For the worshipers would have been purified once and for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Basically, this is saying that that system didn't work because they had to do it over and over and over again. And then Hebrew chapter 10 tells us about our high priest. When Jesus enters the scene and he says he is the son of God, in fact, verse 10 of Hebrews says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That to me is amazing. I would say amen all day just because of that that I don't have to live under that old covenant, and now I get to just once and for all, he did it. We don't have to go back and forth with this. It says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins, the scripture says. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Can you guys say amen to that? Can you just give them some praise? Because that to me is awesome. It's not a temporary covering. But Jesus, as our high priest, offered his life, shedding his innocent life 
as a covering for our sins, satisfying the justness of God, and at the same time extending his mercy to you and to me. Here's the good news for me, and I hope you feel the same way. That means that whenever God looks at you, he doesn't see your inequities. He doesn't see your sinfulness, but rather he sees the righteousness of Christ. This is the, our high priest who gave his life, satisfying again the justness of God and at the same time extending his mercy. This is that Jesus that is our high priest. And you see, he's not just a distant savior. He is a high priest who understands and he cares, especially now what you're going through. Why are we going through this pandemic? Why me, God? Why are these things going on around me? What is happening? I don't get it. Scripture tells us that he is our high priest. And again, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, this is what it says. Great news. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, Son of God, it says, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Think about that for a second. Embrace that truth that whatever it is that you may be going through, Jesus understands. He relates to our trials. He sympathizes with our pain. I mean, many of us, I know, I'm there with you, are feeling all the stress, all the anxiety, overwhelmed with all the things that we're facing. In fact, Jesus, if you guys recall, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was being sent to be sacrificed, we know that his friends abandoned him. He knew what was coming, and yet he fell to his knees on the ground, and he said, Father, my soul is overwhelmed in agony to the point of death. That means that he faced anxiety. He faced agony. That means he understands yours as well. I mean, think about it even further. Jesus was conceived out of wedlock, born of a teenage mom. I mean, how scandalous is that? He was raised in a small town where inevitably people were going to be whispering about this kid. He lived in poverty. He was criticized. He was ridiculed. He was bullied. He was tempted by the devil over and over and over again. And when he was at his weakest and most vulnerable, tempted again, and yet he did not sin. Jesus experienced the loss of one of his best friends. He grieved the loss of family members. He was accused of things he didn't do. His friends betrayed him. And Worst of all, to me, he felt abandoned by God on the cross. He wasn't, but he felt that way anyway. Because when Jesus, the great high priest, became the sin for us, he was kind of like a scapegoat. He gave his life for sin. God looked away. And it's so interesting to me to, to read this and understand and, and study it. Because when Jesus cried out, God, oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? He felt like he couldn't reach God at that moment. But we have to understand that whenever you feel hurt, that means he has felt hurt. He is your high priest who sympathizes and understands. You know, he's not just sitting up in heaven and sees all our problems and says, man, 
it sucks to be them. He's not doing that. That means that whatever you felt, he felt. Wherever you hurt, he hurts. He is our great high priest who sympathizes with whatever you're going through. It doesn't matter what age you are. He understands exactly what you're going through. I mean, imagine, if you can, the details of our God. You know, in the, in the Gospel of John, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. Christmas. Baby Jesus born of Mary that we get to celebrate. God born in the form of a child who loves you, who cares about you, and that God in his divine providence sent these wise men to offer gifts, prophetically declaring the very nature of Jesus to come. That, to me, changes the meaning of Christmas a little bit. That, to me, makes me take sin a little more seriously. He is our high priest. And because of that, Here's the good news again for me, and I pray that it is for you, that in Hebrews, as we keep reading into verse 16 of the same chapter 4, he says, because of all of this that I just explained to you, that we were under an old system, but now we have a new covenant, and it is Jesus. He says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it more. Most And folks, I need it most right now, today. And I know there's some of you here today that need that same mercy and grace right now. You can come to him because he cares for you. You can come to him because he understands. Let us come boldly before the throne of our gracious God where we're going to receive mercy because the justice has already been satisfied and he extends his mercy and what we will find in our high priest is that we will find that grace that we need for today. And I pray that you would come to him today. And that you would understand. And that you would come boldly. And you don't have to come to him and, and cower because you're afraid of him. Or you don't have to come to him and pray in this King James language. I mean, you just, you just come to him boldly. I mean, those of you that have kids totally understand. I mean, my kids, when they were young, they would just come to me and they would jump on my lap. And sometimes, especially my daughter, they would do it unannounced. And then she would say, oh, daddy, I love you. You're my favorite daddy of all time. Can I borrow 20 bucks? And, and guess what? I would give it to her every single time. Why? Because I love her. Because we're in a relationship and she came boldly into my presence. And that's the way God is with his children, with you. That if you just come boldly to him and say, this is what I need, he is faithful. So here's what I want to do today. As we close, I want to give you a chance to spend a few moments with God in his presence. We started this morning by acknowledging that he is here. He is in our midst. You know what you, he knows what you're going through. So let's take this time to just spend some time with him in his presence. And remember when we started that first scripture, when they followed the light, when they followed the star, they were filled with joy. When was the last time you were filled with joy because you had that light inside of you? Maybe today is a day that you start to feel that again as you come boldly before that throne of grace. And as we come boldly before that throne of grace, we recognize, and you should recognize, that there is hope for the helpless. There is rest 
for the weary, there is love for the broken heart, there is grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He will meet you wherever you are. All you have to do is surrender to him this morning. Will you come before boldly into his throne and will you bow your heads and will you pray with me now? Lord, thank you that we have a high priest, Jesus, Lord, who, who sacrificed his life for the forgiveness of sins and who now prays for us, sitting at the right hand of God, praying for us and interceding for us even now. Will you, this morning, just take this next few seconds and you at home watching and listening to the sound of my voice, will you take the next few seconds and just come before him and just worship him and thank him and ask him for your heart's desires. And even if you hear a little awkward silence right now, just, just do that. Take this time now. Knowing that he understands the details of your life. Those of you who have a loved one, maybe far from God, you might just say his name, just, just whisper it or say it in your mind. Who is that that you love? And, and take that person before God and understand that, that, per, that Jesus is praying for that person even right now. Those of you who are struggling financially, and you may be feeling the weight of this world, so many expenses, very little resources, tell them how you feel. Tell him, Lord, I'm afraid, I'm hurting. Jesus, you're my high priest. That means that he is your provider. He meets all of your needs according to God's glorious riches in heaven. And I know a lot of you are hurting emotionally right now. And I want to ask that you would just care, cast your cares upon him because you know that he cares for you. He is also your high priest and your comforter. He's been where you've been. He hurts like you hurt. He understands. And if you're struggling physically, or someone you love is struggling, or has had a bad medical report, Jesus, your high priest who bore those stripes on his back so that he could be your healer, cry out to him now. And I know some of you are tired and exhausted and you're overwhelmed and you don't feel like you can hold it together any longer and you're completely weak and broken and just know that when you are weak Jesus your high priest is your strength he understands your weakness and in your weakness you are made complete because you are strong call on him he is your high priest I also want to take this moment right now to speak to those of you who do not know this high priest, Jesus. And if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now, and if you're listening to my, the sound of my voice online, this is some amazing news that Jesus came to die for your sins, that you may have eternal life. Not that you would have to make sacrifices for your sins, but once and for all, come before him and accept him as your Lord and Savior and accept him into your heart. 
And if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to pray a prayer in your heart silently and repeat after me and just say, Jesus, I've sinned. And I understand that you died and rose for me. Will you come into my life? And as best as I know how, I will live for you. And if that's you this morning, whether you're online or you're here, no one's looking, every head bowed, will you just raise your hand for me this morning? Just boldly come before the throne of grace. I see your hand. You can put it down. Lord bless you. You can put your hand down. And I just want to pray for you. Father, you see those hands. Lord, I ask that you would bless them, that you would walk with them, that you would guide them, that you would lead them, that you would be their God. As they come boldly to that throne of grace, may you respond to them, Father. For all of us here, may we surrender all that we are through this season. And when we truly understand the true meaning of Christmas. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.